Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code Relevant Radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome back to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. Rolling through Romans. Let's pick it up once again in Romans chapter 8. Let's read these verses here, starting with verse 12. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, remember, we'll just stop here for a second, and you'll remember that I said that this chapter is really about three things, according to Han, spirit, sonship, and suffering. Now, last time we talked about the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Spirit is mentioned 18 times in this one chapter. I think Paul's dropping more than a small hint about how much we need the Holy Spirit to live the Christ life on earth. Now we're going to talk about sonship. And really what this is, is divine filiation. So for all you daughters of God out there, of course, this applies to you as well. So in Romans, in the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul talked about how both Gentiles and Jews, really the whole world, they are enslaved. Gentiles are slaves to sin. The Jews were slaves to the law in a certain sense. They realized they could never live up to it on their own. And now in chapter 8, we see how both groups are brought out of slavery into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And this is such a unique contribution among the world religions. And we talked a little bit about this in the, in, the, in the last episode, how the fatherhood of God was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but it's pretty obscure. As St. Augustine said, the new covenant is in the old concealed. The old covenant is in the new revealed. Now we have on full blast divine filiation, the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. And Jesus revealed this, of course. No other religion really teaches this. Now, when Jesus said, and Paul mentions it too here in chapter 8, Abba, Father. He's not talking about a Swedish pop band when he says Abba, of course. He's talking about the Aramaic word for Father. Now, some scholars say this really is a very familiar term, somewhat like Daddy. Others say, no, 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 that's, that's making it too cute. You're going too far. It really just means Father. Either way, that's the point. The point is that God is Father. And St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the founder of Opus Dei, this hit him so hard one day. In the 1930s in Madrid, he was riding a streetcar, and all of a sudden he was just overwhelmed with this concept 
that God was his father. And he started just blurting out on, on the tram, on, on the streetcar. I guess you could say it was a streetcar named Desire. He, he just was, was overwhelmed with this holy desire for the fatherhood of God to experience this. And he, he started actually just kind of blurting out loud, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Pater, and Pater, of course, being Father in Latin. And, and he just he just stumbled. He was doing this out loud. People probably thought he was nuts. And as he said elsewhere, I, I was a madman, madly in love with Christ, madly in love with God. And he, he started wandering all throughout the city of Madrid for hours. He walked the streets. He lost track of time, didn't know where he was, what time it was. And he just kept saying to himself again and again and again, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, just kind of blew him away. Do we really think about it that much? Do it, does it blow us away that God, the creator of the universe, is also our Father? He loves us. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine. Brent Petre, in his series on Romans, he, he gives the account of Scott Hahn, his friend, and we all know Dr. Scott Hahn, who was scheduled to give a debate against, uh, or I don't know if it was against, but it was to try to uncover more truth, of course, uh, with an Islamic scholar. And Islam certainly does not teach the fatherhood of God. It's a monotheistic religion. It's an Abrahamic religion. Muslims do worship the same God as Catholics. You say, how is that possible? Some people doubt this. Some people challenge that. But the church teaches this. They do look at the same God that we do, but they have a very distorted image of this God. Uh, Father Brian Harrison, uh, many years ago, wrote an article about this. And he, he gave an interesting analogy. It's a little bit like, if you remember the olden days of TV, if you will, when people used to watch television on black and white televisions, and eventually they invented color television, but we all knew people who still had the old black and white televisions, maybe our grandparents. And they, they had to pull up these rabbit ears, these antennas on the top of the sets to try to pull in the channels. But sometimes it was still grainy. It was still fuzzy. You couldn't quite see the image. You're watching a newscast. Am I seeing this person's face? Is this really the newscaster? Or is this something else? I can't really tell. So it, he used that as an analogy that when Muslims look at the, the same God that we look at, they don't see the Trinity. They don't understand that he's a Trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have kind of a distorted view. And it's interesting that Muhammad, it is said, never met an Orthodox Catholic Christian in his entire life. He did meet some Nestorians, and they, they were, of course, uh, very famous heretics. And uh, they did not believe, for example, that Mary was the mother of God. The Council of Ephesus in 431 AD kind of dealt with all that and uh, proclaimed that, yes, Mary is the mother of God, that Jesus is God. She didn't give birth to a human nature. She gave birth to a person, one divine person who has two natures, Jesus Christ. And and, and others like modern-day scholars like Ed Facer, they, they, they actually view Islam as, in a sense, a Christian heresy. It's a 6th a sixth century AD development. And it, it definitely has some Christian elements, some elements from, uh, from Judaism and Arabic culture all kind of mixed in. And that's, that's one way to look at it. Uh, but one thing that is true, they do, they do not uh, have the fullness of the knowledge of the Trinity. And in fact, uh, Dr. Bram Petre says that this, this scholar was debating Scott Hahn. And I think, I think the topic was the Trinity. 
And as soon as Dr. Han mentioned God as father, the scholar stopped him and said, no, 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 you, you can't say that. That is blasphemy. It is absolutely blasphemy. God is not father. Allah is the master of the universe and we are his slaves. And Han said, I, I, I didn't mean to offend you. That's not what I was trying to do there. And, but as they were tr obviously trying to debate the Trinity, I mean, this came up again and again and again. Eventually the guy said, don't call God father. This is blasphemy. I, I will not hear this anymore. And actually they, they couldn't even carry forward with the debate. It had to end because they couldn't even agree on terms th that they were quote unquote allowed to use. So this idea that, that we are his children is something that is unique to the Judeo-Christian perspective, certainly within Christianity. But there are other views of, of God that also are embraced by so many that, that are not correct. Um, they're even seemingly Christian, but they, but they really aren't. Think about deism. Petra gives the example of, of deism. Now, you know that many of the founding fathers of the United States were actually deists. People think that they were, you know, Protestant Christians, but in fact, uh, a lot of them were deists. Now, what does a deist believe? A deist essentially believes that God is a sort of cosmic watchmaker, if you will, who creates the universe, sets everything in motion, kind of like winding up one's watch and just lets it go and fades off into the background. God is maybe out in interstellar territory, way at the edges of creation, but he is not involved in the day-to-day -day affairs of our lives. He does not get intimately involved. He's not imminent, as theologians say. Now, Thomas Jefferson, of course, one of the founding fathers, was very famous for his deism. And in fact, this is the same guy who had a hand in writing the Declaration of Independence, for example, and uh, one of the most famous lines in all of human history, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed with you know, unalien unalienable rights from their creator. And so... The same guy is taking his Bible and Jefferson's Bible. You probably have heard about Jefferson's Bible. It's a, it's a very intriguing document to say the least, but it doesn't look like your Bible or my Bible because what he essentially did was he took an exacto knife to the text. He didn't, of course, have a digital copy or anything like that. So he, he actually took his physical Bible, took his little exacto knife, and he cut out anything in the Gospels, in the New Testament, that smacked of the supernatural. This, the miracles of Jesus, forget it. They're excised. They're gone. Anything that, that smacks of the divinity of Christ, nope, wasn't there. So he was very much a, a deist. And so his, his version of, of the faith was not the full reality. It was, it was truncated, to say the least. It's missing that supernatural element. So... The reason why I mention this is that a lot of people who claim to be Christians are in fact deists in their outlook. They're practically deists. Even if they don't say that they are, they do believe in essence that God is an absentee father, that he doesn't do miracles. In this day, for certain, he doesn't do miracles. He doesn't get involved with the nitty gritty of our lives. So when you scratch, the, when you scratch and sniff a little bit, some, some people who are allegedly Christians, you find out that they're really Deist. And they would look at God as an absentee father. He's the cosmic watchmaker. He's really not there. He's not there when I need him. And so that, that is a, an incredibly skewed image of our father, God. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, 
Kale Clark. All right, now let's let's get on with the next little bit of the text here. This is also crucial that we understand what St. Paul is about to say next. Let's look back again at verse 15. St. Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now listen to this, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, this is the the third S, if you will. There's spirit, there is sonship, and then there is suffering in this section. Suffering with Christ is part of the good news of the gospel, because if we want to be heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, who's kind of our elder brother, if you look at it this way, with God being our father, our divine elder brother. If we want to share in that heavenly inheritance, Paul says we can, provided we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, Petrie says this, this this statement alone absolutely obliterates the health and wealth gospel. It, it absolutely sounds the death knell for it. This is, this is a, a point of view that has been uh, embraced by many throughout the world, but it has in particular infected the American church for decades, especially Protestantism, uh, really since the 1980s. Think about all the prominent televangelists that preached uh, this message and continue to do so. What is the health and wealth gospel? Well, summing it up, it's essentially this. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you're not, there's a huge problem. If you are sick, if you have, for example, cancer, if you are broke, if you're bankrupt, uh, if anything in your life is broken, it's ultimately your fault because God wants you to be absolutely flourishing on every level. So if that's not happening, then there must be some sin in your life that is blocking God's grace, blocking God's gifts that he wants to give you. Maybe it's your lack of faith. And this is such a poisonous point of view, and it has destroyed many people's spiritual lives, and I've seen it happen firsthand. And as as Brian Petrie says, if people believe this, then if any kind of suffering enters into your life, say you are riding high on the hog, if you will, and and you're relatively uh, doing well financially, and your health is good, and you've got great friendships, and, and everything is fine, what happens when suffering enters into your life? It can destroy your relationship with God because you think either God doesn't love me or somehow God is punishing me. It's my fault. This is, this is my punishment for sin. But this is such an unchristian view. Think about this. Every single saint that's ever been canonized in the history of the church has underwent suffering. And martyrdom is so prized by the church you go straight to heaven if you're a martyr, martyr, even if you're not baptized. It's called a baptism of blood. St. Paul himself was martyred, who wrote this letter. Jesus suffered a great deal. So we've got to get rid of this attitude. 
And I, like I said, I have seen this happen firsthand uh, during my years away from the Catholic Church when I was in Protestantism. You might have heard of the uh, televangelist Benny Hinn, uh, who is a faith healer. And I've never seen him open the eyes of a blind person. I've never seen him tell a quadriplegic to get out of one's wheelchair and start walking. But nonetheless, he would hold these these big rallies. And he came to my town one year. And there was a, a family in my Protestant congregation that did have a quadriplegic daughter who was in very, very rough shape, bad condition, could not speak. Uh, she would just make involuntary noises. And they had such hope that Benny Hinn would heal their daughter that they actually attended one of his rallies and they were kicked out. They were kicked out because Pastor Benny likes it to be very quiet when he's trying to access the healing power of God, and their daughter was making too many noises, so they were kicked out of the stadium, and it absolutely destroyed their faith life. On another occasion, in one of his books, Benny Hinn claims he went into a particular hospital and just healed people left, right, and center. They're getting up out of their beds, cancer patients, you name it. Everyone was healed. It was like a scene out of the Acts of the Apostles. Well, I happen to know somebody who worked at that hospital as an intern, and he was there that day. When Benny Hinn showed up, he said, yeah, he did show up. He prayed for people, but nobody walked out of their bed. That's that's for sure. So th this this type of thing can be extremely dangerous to people's faith. Now, does, does God heal people? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he can. But we have to be very careful that it is in his will. It is in his time. And the health and wealth gospel is an absolute cancer, a blight on Christianity, especially in North America, but it has infected other parts of the world as well. So suffering is absolutely part of the deal for Catholic Christians. Everyone has to suffer in life, but not everybody has to waste their suffering. If we can unite it with the suffering of Christ, it can bear much spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God. All right, we've reached the end of this particular session. We're, go we're gonna now look into maybe most people's favorite section in chapter eight, which includes, obviously, verse 28. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So how do we, what's the proper biblical way to look at suffering, to look at some of these challenges that are sometimes placed in our way? And some of this is not of our own doing, but how do we react to it? How do we respond to it in Christ? We're going to talk about the value of hope. We're going to talk about space salvi. We are saved in hope, and that was the title, of course, of one of Pope Benedict's encyclical letters, and he got that title from Romans chapter 8. So in preparation for the next section, you got to read this, verses 18 to, well, we'll go right to the end of the chapter, verse 39. Uh, that is just one of the most poetic and beautiful sections in all of Romans and really all of the Bible, and I can't wait to delve into that with you in the next episode of the Faith Explained. Hey, if you've missed an episode, by all means, go to the podcast on the Relevant Radio app and please share them with a friend. And if you listen to the show on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, won't you please give it a rating and a review? That helps other people to discover our programs here, our podcasts that we send out every day on Relevant Radio. But hey, we're not done yet. we got to dip into now the Faith Explained Q&A mailbag. Let's go for it. All right, as we open up our Faith Explained Q&A mailbag today, I want to remind you that you can send in your questions to me, and I'll try to get them read on the air and hopefully answered as well. 
And the email address is faith at relevantradio.com, F-A-I-T-H at relevantradio.com. And this is a question that several people ask, and it's about retirement. Retirement. Is it okay, is it ethical for Catholics to formally retire? Um, I think think what's behind this is this... um, I guess kind of a fear of, of should I be living a life of leisure, if you will. Um, this sort of traditional outlook on retirement in the West, in North America, is you retire at 65 years old, let's say, and then you can look forward to, I don't know, maybe moving down to Florida, playing golf every day. That doesn't sound too bad, actually. Traveling, relaxing. And a lot of people... <laughs> Here's the thing. A lot of people retire even earlier than that these days, and it might be a pipe dream for most of us, but you probably heard of the FIRE movement, and that's an acronym, capital F-I-R-E. The F stands for financial independence, or the F stands for financial, the I stands for independence, and the R stands for retired, the E stands for early. So financially independent, retired early, FIRE. The FIRE movement has been sweeping across the nation like an uncontrolled blaze and uh more people are probably saying yeah i wish i wish it would you know catch me this uh, out of control fire it's not happening in my life but but a lot of people don't have to draw a paycheck anymore because because of the fact that they are independently wealthy if you will but what happens what happens if if you have enough money uh, to last the rest of your earthly life and you don't necessarily need to formally work for an employer or in your own business what, what how are you supposed to look at this from a spiritual point of view well here, here's what i would say uh, about that one of the things that, that jesus said in the gospel of john is this he said we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. That's John chapter 9, verse 4. Now, what on earth was he talking about? He wasn't talking about actual jobs in terms of you know, labor. Yeah, okay, it's getting dark. We won't be able to do any apple picking, you know, that sort of thing. If that's your job, that, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that the end of the day, in terms of the history of the world, is approaching... Close, it's closer and closer all the time. And, and the day that we die, that is the, the end of the world for us. So we can never stop serving God. We can never stop ser- serving Jesus Christ in his church, even if we're not formally drawing a paycheck anymore from our employer. So, so we, we are kind of created to work. Just as birds were created to fly, the human person was created to work. And this is written right into the pages of the book of Genesis that God gave Adam a job to till and to keep the garden. And by the way, work was in the world before sin came into the world. It was far before the original sin. So work is not a curse, although work has become more difficult because of the after effects of original sin. By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat. You're going to have to till this land. You're going to have to sweat here. You're going to have to work. So... That's one way to, so you got to be working at something and hopefully it's something to, to further the, the efforts of the kingdom on some level. Um, just, just a lot of men in particular, and this is, this is kind of anecdotal, but a lot of men uh, tend to get, not, not everybody, but, but some of them, when they stop working, they actually lose their purpose in life 
and they wind up getting very physically ill and some of them die very young because they've just they've lost their their raison d'etre if you will and the uh, the Jewish rabbis they used to say this and it's kind of half tongue in cheek a bit of a joke if you will but they say look if there if there's no word for something in Hebrew for a concept in Hebrew then the thing can't possibly exist because Hebrew is the language of God certainly in the old covenant as well in the old testament that is true there's no word in Hebrew for retirement. So it can't really exist. That's, that's what the rabbis would sometimes say. So one's work kind of does have to, you got to be working at something. Even if you're not getting paid, even if you don't need it for the money, uh, I think it is somewhat healthy to continue on in pursuits. And you might say, well, I'm going to work on my golf game. I don't. Make sure that you're doing something for Christ, serving the kingdom somehow. Maybe you can evangelize on the golf course. It's not a bad thing to do. You've got a lot of time to chat in between shots. But whatever you might do, um, our work in this planet, working for Christ in the, uh, the, the incredible adventure of working the field of souls never ends, even when we are no longer at our place of employment. So that's one thing that St. Paul did all the time. He said, I forget what lies behind I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. So press ahead and uh, don't stop pressing ahead. Don't start, stop pushing. Uh, there are a lot of souls that need to be reached and evangelized for the kingdom. Maybe you can become a parish ambassador. For Relevant Radio, find out more about our Parish Ambassador Program. You can contact us, info at relevantradio.com. Well, here's another email address for you. It's faith at relevantradio.com. And that's the email address to get to me with your questions about the Catholic faith. And I will try to answer them as best I can on the air. And another way you can get me is through social media, through the X app. My handle is at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. Well, I hope to see you on the next episode of The Faith Explained here on Relevant Radio. If you've missed one, like I said, it's always a good idea to go to the Relevant Radio app. You can binge listen. Now, usually binging is a bad thing, but not when it comes to Relevant Radio podcasts. You can binge listen to all of our programs. People like to do that sometimes on the weekend or when they're out for a run or running errands. You can listen to all the episodes of all of our shows in podcast form and plus if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or another service like that, we'd ask that you leave a rating and review because it really does help people to discover our shows. You can share them with a friend. There are handy sharing tools there, and we really do appreciate it. So love to hear from you. Once again, the address is faith at relevantradio.com. I want to hear about what you're thinking about, the questions that you really have about the faith so that we can try to solve them and find the answers together. I'm a learner on the journey, just like you. Well, I'll be back later today on the Kale Clark Show at 5 p.m. Central right here on Relevant Radio. Keep it locked on this station. Lots of great programming ahead all throughout the day, all day long and all night strong right here on Relevant Radio. God bless you.